A word about O. Henry. William Sidney Porter was a failure for most of his life. He was even jailed for embezzlement. Then, using O. Henry as his nom de plume, he started writing humorous, poignant tales with a twist at the end. He quickly became popular and rich, but he went downhill again, and when he died in 1910 at the age of 48, he was a pauper. Many of the hundreds of stories he wrote continue to delight readers to this day. The O. Henry Prize, an award instituted in his honor, is considered America's most prestigious award for short fiction. This story by O. Henry is The Last Leaf. In a little district west of Washington Square, the streets have run crazy and broken themselves into small stripes called places. These places make strange angles and curves. One street crosses itself a time or two. An artist once discovered a valuable possibility in this street. Suppose a collector with a bill for paints, pop paper and canvas should, in traversing this route, suddenly meet himself coming back without a cent having been paid on account. So, to quaint old Greenwich village, the art people soon came prowling, hunting for north windows and 18th century gables and Dutch attics and low rents. Then they imported some pewter mugs and a chaffing dish or two from 6th Avenue and became a colony. At the top of a squatty three-story brick, Sue and Johnsy had the studio. Johnsy was familiar for Joanna. One was from Maine, the other from California. They had met at the table d'hôte of an 8th street Delmonico's and found their tastes in art, chicory salad and bishop sleeves so congenial that the joint studio resulted. That was in May. In November, a cold, unseen stranger, whom the doctors called pneumonia, stalked about the colony, touching one here and there with his icy fingers. Over on the east side, this ravager strode boldly, smitting his victims by scores, but his feet trod slowly through the maze of the narrow and moss-grown places. Mr. Pneumonia was not what you would call a chivalric old gentleman, a mite of a little woman with blood thinned by California zephyrs was hardly fair game for the red-fisted, short-breathed Holmer Duffer. But John C. he smote, and she lay, scarcely moving, on her painted iron bedstead, looking through the small Dutch window panes at the blank side of the brick next house. One morning, the busy doctor invited Sue into the hallway with a shaggy grey eyebrow. She has one chance in, let us say, ten, he said, as she shook as he shook down the mercury in his clinical thermometer, and that chance is for her to want to live. This way people have of lining you on the side of the undertaker makes the entire pharmacopoeia look silly. Your little lady has made up her mind that she's not going to get well. Has she anything on her mind? She? She want to paint the Bay of Naples someday, said Sue. Paint? Bosh. 
has she anything on her mind worth thinking twice a man for instance a man said sue with a juiced harp twang in her voice is a man worth but no doctor there is nothing of that kind well it is the weakness then said the doctor i will do all that science so far as it may filter through my efforts can accomplish but whenever my patient begins to count the carriages in her funeral procession i subtract 50% chances from the curative power of the medicines if you will get her to ask one question about the new winter styles in cloak sleeves i will promise you a 1 in a 5 chance for her instead of 1 in 10 after the doctor had gone sue went into the workroom and cried a japanese napkin to a pulp then she swaggered into johnsy's room with her drawing board whistling ragtime johnsy lay scarcely making a ripple under the bed clothes with her face towards the window sue stopped whistling thinking she was asleep she arranged her board and began a pen and ink drawing to illustrate a magazine story young artists must pave their way to art by drawing pictures for magazine stories that young authors write to pave their way to literature as sue was sketching a pair of elegant horseshoe riding trousers and a monocle of figure of the hero an idaho cowboy she heard a low sound several times repeated she went quickly to the bedside johnsy's eyes were wide open she was looking out the window and counting counting backwards 12 she said and little later 11 and then 10 and 9 and then 8 and 7 almost together sue looked solicitously solicitously out of the window what was there to count there was only a bare dreary yard to be seen and the blank side of the brick house 20 feet away an old old ivy vine gnarled and decayed at the roots climbed halfway up the brick wall the cold breath of autumn had stricken its leaves from the vine until its skeleton branches clung almost bare to the crumbling bricks what is it dear asu 6 said johnson in almost a whisper they are falling faster now 3 days ago there were almost 100 it made my head ache to count them but now it's easy there goes another one there are only 5 left now 5 what dear tell your sudi leaves on the ivy vine when the last one falls i must go to i have known that for 3 days didn't the doctor tell you oh i have never heard of such nonsense complained sue with magnificent scorn what have old ivy leaves to do with your getting well and you used to love that wine so you naughty girl don't be so goosey why the doctor told me this morning that your chances for getting well real soon were let's say exactly what he said he said the chances were 10 to 1 why that's almost as good a chance as we have in new york when we ride on the street cars or walk past a new building 
try to take some broth now and let Sudi go back to her drawing so she can sell the editor man with it and buy port wine for her sick child and pork chops for her greedy self. You didn't get any more wine, said John C., keeping her eyes fixed out the window. There goes another. No, I don't want any broth. That leaves just four. I want to see the last one fall before it gets dark. Then I'll go to. John C. Dare, said Sue, bending over. Will you promise me to keep your eyes closed and not look out the window until I am done working? I must hand those drawings in by tomorrow. I need the light or I would draw the shade down. Shade down. Couldn't you draw in another room? asked John C. coolly. I'd rather be there by you, said Sue. Besides, I don't want you to keep looking at those silly ivy leaves. Tell me as soon as you have finished, said John C., closing her eyes and lying white and still as fallen statue, because I want to see the last one fall. I am tired of waiting. I am tired of thinking. I want to turn loose my hold on everything and go sailing down, down, just like one of those poor tired leaves. Try to sleep, said Sue. I must call Burman up to be my model for the old hermit miner. I'll not be gone a minute. Don't try to move till I come back. Old Berman was a painter who lived on the ground floor beneath them. He was past sixty and had a Michelangelo's Moses beard curling down from the head of a satyr along with the body of an imp. Berman was a failure in art. Forty years he had wielded the brush without getting near enough to touch the hem of his mistress's robe. He had always about to paint he had he had been always about to paint a masterpiece, but had never yet begun it. For se- several years he had painted nothing except now and then a daub in the line of commerce or advertisement. He earned a little by serving as a model to those young artists in the colony who could not pay the price of a professional. He drank gin to excess and still talked of his coming masterpiece. For the rest, he was a fierce little old man who scoffed terribly at softness in anyone and who regarded himself as a special mastiff in waiting to protect the two young artists in the studio above. Sue found Berman smelling strongly of juniper berries in his dimly lit den below. In one corner was a blank canvas on an easel that had been waiting there for 25 years to receive the first line of the masterpiece. She told him of John C.'s fancy and how she feared he, she would indeed, light and fragile as a leaf herself, float away when her light hold upon the world grew weaker. When the slight hold upon the world grew weaker. Old Berman, with his red eyes, plainly streaming, shouted his contempt and derision for such idiotic imaginings. Was, he cried, is there people in the world meet their foolishness to die because of leave they drop off from a confined point? I have not heard of any such thing. No, I will not pose as a model for you fool hermit tenderhead. Why do you allow 
that silly pussiness to come in the brain of her. At that poor little Miss Yuhunchi. She is very ill and weak, said Sue, and the fever has left her mind morbid and full of strange fancies. Very well, Mr. Bowman, if you do not care to pose for me, you needn't. But I think you are a horrid old, old flibbertiggy bit. You are just like a woman, yelled Bowman, who said, I will not pose. Go on, I commit you. For half an hour, I have been trying to say that I am ready to pose. God, this is not any place in which one has good as Miss Yancey shall lie sick. Someday I will paint a masterpiece and we shall all go away. God, yes. Yancey was sleeping when they went upstairs. Sue pulled the shade down to the window sill and motioned Berman into the other room. And there they peered out the window fearfully at the vine, ivy vine. Then they looked at each other for a moment without speaking. A persistent cold rain was falling, mingled with snow. Berman, in his old blue shirt, took his seat as the hermit miner on an upturned kettle for a rock. When Sue awoke from an hour's sleep the next morning, she found John C. with dull, wide-open eyes staring at the drawn green shade. Pull it up, I want to see, she ordered in a whisper. Verily, Sue obeyed. But lo, after the beating rain and fierce gust of wind that had endured through the livelong light, there yet stood out against a brick wall one ivy leaf. It was the last one on the vine still dark green near its stem, with its serrated edges tinted with yellow of dissolution and decay. It hung bravely from the branch some twenty feet above the ground. It is the last one, said John C. I thought it would surely fall during the night. I heard the wind. It will fall today and shall die and I shall die at the same time. Dear dear, said Sue leaning her worn face down to the pillow. Think of me if you won't. Think of yourself. What will I do? But John C. did not answer. The the lonesomest thing in all the world is a soul when it is making ready to go on its mysterious far journey. The fancy seemed to possess her more strongly as one by one the ties that bound her to friendship and to earth were loosed. The day wore away, and even through the twilight, they could see the lone ivy leaf clinging to stem against the wall. And then, with the coming of the night, the north wind was again loosed, while the rain still beat down against the windows and pattered down from low Dutch eaves. When it was light enough, John C., the merciless, commanded that the shade be raised. The ivy leaf was still there. Yonsi lay for a long time looking at it, and then she called to Sue, who was stirring her chicken broth over the gas stove. I have been a bad girl, Sudi, said Yonsi. Something has made that last leaf stay there to show me how wicked I was. It is a sin to want to die. You may bring me 
a little broth now and some milk with little port in it and no bring me a hand mirror first and then pack some pillows about me and i will sit up and watch you cook an hour later she said suri some day i hope to paint the bay of naples the doctor came in the afternoon and sue had an excuse to go into the hallway as he left even chances said the doctor taking sue's thin shaking hand in his with good nursing you'll win and now i must see another case i have downstairs berman his name is some kind of an artist i believe pneumonia too he is an old weak man and the attack is acute there is no hope for him but he goes to the hospital today to be made far more comfortable the next day the doctor said to sue she is out of danger you won nutrition and care now that's all and that afternoon sue came to the bed with johnsy lay where johnsy lay contentedly knitting a very blue and very useless woolen shoulder scarf and put one arm around her pillows and all i have something to tell you white mouse she said mr berman died of pneumonia today in the hospital he was ill only two days the janitor found him the morning of the first day in his room downstairs helpless with pain his shoes and clothing were wet through and icy cold they couldn't imagine where he had been on such a dreadful night and then they found a lantern still lighted and a ladder that had been dragged from its place and some scattered brushes and a pallet with green and yellow colors mixed on it and look out of the window dear at the last ivy leaf on the wall didn't you wonder why it never fluttered or moved when the wind blew ah darling it's burnman's masterpiece he painted it there the night that the last leaf fell